Hi, I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. And I'm Norman Mitchell, and we're the hosts of Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we discuss, appreciate, and delve too deep into the Lord of the Rings Extended Editions, one minute at a time. You know there's a Balrog down there, right? It'll be fine. <laughs> Have you ever wondered about Hobbit economy or how wizards get their mail? Are you also in awe of Hugo Weaving's eyebrows? Then join us every Monday through Friday on our mission, quest, thing, only on DuelingGenre.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Dueling Genre Hi everyone and welcome to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Minute, the daily podcast where we are watching the 1990 live action Turtles movie one chauvinist minute at a time, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Scott Tofty, with me as always are guest hosts, or sorry, regular hosts, hey. feel like I haven't done this in a while, Chris O'Connor, <laughs> Yo, Rachel Gatlin, Hi, and Adam Sheehan, hello. and our very special guest host today, we have another Chris, Chris Ayers. Hi, thanks for having me on the show. Really excited hey, about man. this. Thanks for being here. I think you're our first West Coast guest. Oh, cool. Guest Coast, Guest Coast, Best Coast. <laughs> I think, actually, I'm from the East Coast, so I think that's the Best Coast. But Oh, mm-hmm. where are you from Coast. originally? Uh, the Carolinas in Georgia. East, oh. East I just spent, I spent two weeks in South Carolina this summer. It's been excellent. Oh, cool. it was a And we're going to there. North Carolina in a few weeks. Nice. That's the state Very. where I was born. Oh, nice. Oh, neato. Um, Lovely so down there. Chris uh, Ayers, this is going to get really confusing really fast. Chris Ayers, you <laughs> no, come to us from, uh, <laughs> from the DC Legacy Filmcast. That's your uh, sort of most recent podcast that you've been doing, right? Right, yeah. We have a uh, podcast. Tell us a little bit about that, would you? Yeah, this show is ded- dedicated to going through all the DC Comics films in order, uh, going back to like 1951, the first Superman Whoa. full-length movie. Like George uh, Reeves or... Uh, yeah, yeah. The first, uh, the first, technically, the first Superman movie was um, Superman and the Mole Man from 1951, and it was ah, an, hour, yes. an hour long. It was a pilot for the TV show. Um, you know, I think I got that when, like, right after Superman Returns came out, they had this like tin box set of Superman DVDs, and I'm pretty sure that was on there. I think I have that, and I've yeah. at least watched part of it. That's super cool. So yeah. you're talking about like, where are you now in that chronology? Like, if you started in the 50s, you've how far um, have you made it? Did you finish? We, we, no, we, we just started this year, and it's uh, we're taking it slow because we're trying to get really great guests. So we're up to we just finished uh, Superman, nineteen seventy eight, uh, the Chris, yeah. first Christopher Reeve movie. We had, we had a great guest for that. We had Dan Jurgens, uh, DC Comics oh. artist and writer. He's still still working for DC. And for the Batman sixty six one, we had Brian Augustin, the author of Batman Ga- Gotham by Gaslight. Wow, so, you cool. are getting some great guests. So, yeah. what's the format of your show? Are you just talking about the movies? Are you taking them like scene by scene? How are you? How are you going through those and dissecting them? It's more about the, the the historical context. Sometimes we do go through scene by scene, but in the case of like the Batman one, we had to talk about how the Batman TV show came to be. You know, when that spawned the movie, and it always helps oh, to have the guest who, like for instance, Brian Augustin, you know, stood in line to buy a ticket. You know, in in 1966 when that movie came out. So he's got the perspective of like what the pop culture was like, what comics were like, oh, right man. there, that kind of stuff. I wish I, I wish I would have thought of getting a hold of you when my other show did our Batman show recently. That would have been smart of me, but I guess I missed that boat. But anyway, we're here today to talk turtles. So, are you ready? I'm ready. 
All right, like so those. we are watching <laughs> minutes 56, 57, and 58 with you this week, Chris. And uh, we're going to start with minute, minute 56, which starts with April O'Neil uh, being heavily objectified by Casey Jones. And the minute ends with Leonardo squeezing his brother Raphael's face in a bathtub. Uh, it's not as weird as it sounds, I promise <laughs> no, you. No, not at all. Um, you're going to be, oh! You're Stick gonna around be, oh. for context. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but Casey Jones, mm-hmm. chauvinist. Yes. Jock. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, possible something... deadbeat dad of dead child. Yeah. Um, well, you're not I a deadbeat can't be dad deadbeat if your kid's then. dead. Yeah. But I, I don't know if it's because I love this movie, but there's something uh, oddly charming about Casey. Is it because uh, he's not yeah. very bright? Maybe. Is it because he's an eight-year-old trapped in a man's body? Yeah, maybe it's because I had a crush on him as a young kid, too, but I don't know. He wished on a vending machine wait, wait, fortune teller. Wait, did you really have a crush big. on him? Yeah, yeah. Like I this Casey was, Jones? Yeah, I thought he was really cute. Have like, we not talked about way. this yet? No, you know. we haven't. We have not. He would oh, almost my. be cute if it wasn't for the pig-headedness. Yeah, that too. <laughs> I feel like you're just reciting lines from the movie, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I also had a thing for Zach Morris, so I don't know what that what that says about I me. I had a thing for Zach Morris. Didn't we yeah. all have a thing for Zach Morris? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Collectively, that was the point of Zach Morris. <laughs> See, was, I was more of a screech growing up. Of course but, you were. Uh, no, you weren't. You're lying. Well, <laughs> He's listen. a pervert. Yeah, he did. All, he did turn out to be. He, kinda... he is. Yes, he did. Um, there is that. Yeah. Didn't he stab a guy? Yeah, his life became uh... a burning dumpster fire. <laughs> yeah, he's doing some weird stuff. Um. So, Where the, what, are the, what are the four That's words? Right. What are the four words that we get at the beginning that Casey calls her? Toots, babe, sweetheart, princess. All right. Excuse okay. me, princess. Princess. Yeah. <laughs> So, Rachel, I'm going to defer to you. Which one of those which one of those irks you the most? Probably toots. What's a toots? Uh, <laughs> where does that come where from? Where did that What is the etymology of the uh, diminutive toots? I mean, get on the Googs. For all, all I can think Tootsie roll, yeah. <laughs> Tootsie like maybe it's like some it might be off some German or Yiddish word or maybe. something. I mean, princess Tushy? is pretty bad too, but Princess Leia. Babe is the the most innocuous, I think, depending on who it's coming from. Like, if some random dude calls me babe. Like, if sweetheart is coming from, from like, an old person, it's kind of, like, not a big deal. It's just, like, that's just what they say. I don't know how to spell that to Google it. T-O-O-T-S. I'm looking it up. I'm getting, like, toots in the Maytals when I do that. (laughs) I'm looking up toots, and there was apparently a, a comic called Toots and Casper, Oh. Uh, which ran from 1918 to 1956. Huh. It was put up by King Features Syndicate, same people who hmm. uh, distributed Peanuts. Um, huh. I, I guess Toots, and I don't know if Toots was a girl. I don't know if that's where the etymology came from. Toots is from. probably a mouse. Um, but it just says it, it means, is it, a slang term. Similar in meaning to babe, sweetie, or honey. So I don't know. We're never going to mm. find the origin of that. So let's. But you specific. need to be like a thousand year old, years old to even get that reference. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. Uh, Mr. Ayers. What? We got to do the jitterbug. <laughs> in earnest. Chris, Chris A, which one of those uh, terms bugs you the most? Which one would you not want to be called? Toots, babe, know. sweetheart, or princess? 
Uh, me personally? Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> in, in your opinion, as a lady, <laughs> yes. It, it, if, it, if I was a lady, I don't know. In your vast feminine experience, <laughs> if I was a lady, but I think that's the that's going to be the the title of my memoir. If I was if a lady. I was a lady. <laughs> If I, I, I was a lady, isn't that a Beyonce Beyonce song? Love that in parentheses, story. I'm not, though. Should be a Beyonce song. It's not even grammatically correct. It would be if I were a lady. I feel like Toots is like from like a 1940s gangster movie or something. Like it's very, very yeah, slang, yeah. New York slang. It's something that, that Casey makes me feel might like Jessica heard. Rabbit. I think I'd love it. Oh, so you, you, <laughs> that gets your vote for favorite. Uh, Adam, what about you? Which one do you hate the most? Uh, I mean, they're they're all pretty bad. I mean, like for me, like you look at April, you look. She's a strong woman. She's independent. She owns a lot of real estate. Apparently, yeah. I mean, like she, I she has kind of like a multi homes upstate. <laughs> like I, he's kind of flailing his arms right now. Like I, he knows nothing about this woman. Clearly, yeah. and this is his first attempt to get to know her, and he's just throwing nicknames at her. It's like, dude, come on. You're in her house. You know, he hasn't tried to flirt since his son died. (laughs) I I knew a guy in college that would just call all his female friends babe. And it's like, dude, I don't know you that well. That's not cool. So here's my take on it. Like, toots, to me, seems like you're actively trying to put someone down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Babe, to me, indicates that, like, it's either a pet name for someone that you really care about or it's just like you're just, it's like chick it's like ah you're just a female thing yeah um sweetheart you're a skater sweetheart is just really passive aggressive mm-hmm. unless it's your mom unless it's your sweet. mom yeah. or, right it's and either, again either passive aggressive or coming from an old i person. feel like babe and sweetheart could both be really cute pet names in the proper context if the other right. party is like agreeable and then princess is just like that's to me that's almost the worst insult of them all mm-hmm because that's, he, that's 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 you're a very specific kind of uh, uh, passive aggressive with that one. Yeah, you know, I, I saw this film like a couple years ago when that on the big screen with a, an audience. Um, but right before the I'm Michael jealous. Bay thing came out, it was like at a small like independent theater we have here, <laughs> and this scene elicited groans from all the all the adult women in the audience. I mean, it, it, it might have been, including my How wife. Did, how did the adult men handle it? <laughs> I think we were all kind of embarrassed and looking. Did they also groan? <laughs> they should probably also have groaned. Um, yeah, we, yeah, we were just quiet. I think because it's it's embarrassing. I was. I brought my wife who'd never yeah. seen this. I'm like, Shame. I really love this movie, and Shame. then I forget about this this part of it. Oh, yeah, it's a little sad. Um, well, so this is. He also, he also says like, "Throw me a bone. I'm drowning here." It's like I, I have a bone to throw. You. How about April? You know, like, <laughs> my name. You know my boss's name. You know I got fired. You could maybe use my given name. Yeah, he's or, trying you know, so hard. Miss, you could call me Miss. Madam. Madam. <laughs> no, Just don't not call Madam, me no. Milady. Don't do that, <laughs> Milady. Oh, what was? Ah, he needs a fedora and a couple extra chins for (laughs) Milady. Yeah. (laughs) Raphael's the one with the fedora, though. (laughs) Uh, That being said, I do love the interactions between Casey and April because I just, Rachel, you pointed out in the, in our, in our notes here that I'm looking at, but they have great chemistry. They really do. The two actors on screen together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, I, in the comics, Casey and April don't really get a lot of play together until pretty late in the run. Um, Chris, you might have a better memory of that than I do. I haven't really read through the Mirage books in a long time, but 
I know in volume four, Casey and April are like married and have a kid, but in, in <laughs> sort of the original first couple years of the book there, before they started dishing everything off to other writers, Casey and April, I don't think got together a whole lot. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, Casey's in like, so I was, this issue or this uh, minute basically is an adaptation of issue 11 of the Mirage series. And Casey's barely in it. I think he's in like one page. There's not much interaction between them. Um, yeah, and he he had not been introduced terribly long before that, right? Because he was introduced in the one shot comic, which we talked about a little bit, and then right. And the, of, pre- the previous uh, issue to eleven is ten, which is the the big fight scene, you know, in the, in the antique shop, right? Which is, yeah, which is a really close adaptation. Which of I think we talked 10. about also. Yeah, yeah. So and then this is this is the follow up issue, and yeah, there's, there's not much of a relationship going on with those guys yet. But yeah, it takes so a while to it. It occurs to me that uh this relationship is pretty much generated for this movie like it was not in the comics it wasn't in the original cartoon at all because casey jones is just a psychopath in the original cartoon um (laughs) with very little characterization at all so this movie kind of created it and then it kind of stuck around for every other version of the turtle since then yeah makes sense yeah Yeah. it it works it it, it does you know I think sometimes they shoehorn in relationships or romantic relationships where it's not necessary. It's it's not necessary for the story to have a romantic relationship, but it's no. what was expected of a Hollywood movie, so they just go for it. Yeah, mm. and I think also when you see these two characters on screen, like, I mean, well, look, there's two things at work here. They 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 work really well together, I think, and this creates a really funny kind of dynamic to have them bickering for the better part of the movie and to have Casey kind of be like this lovable doofus. Um. And number two, it takes away that weird, awkward, like Michelangelo has the a crush are on a to human him. thing, <laughs> which is kind of confusing for maybe an eight-year-old. Can push that away. <laughs> well, what, so. what I always what I always liked about the Nickelodeon comics is there's that love triangle between Casey, April, and Donatello. Yeah. You mean the Nickelodeon TV show? What did I say? Comics. The Nickelodeon oh, sorry. comics. Sorry, yeah. the TV show. That sort but, of fades after a while, though, right? It kind of keeps popping up here and there, but it's like, it's like, dude, Donnie, you're not a human being. This is not going to happen. Casey's got that on you, dude. She is not a croc. (laughs) Oh, and it comes back to the croc video. Never. It's never going to go away. It's always going to come back We're going to have to post that in the show notes at some point. Um, So let's. Let's move along in this minute a little bit here. We, uh, we thing, we, we get, uh, the, the insult Casey, you know, and April are fighting. She says, I wouldn't, you know, I don't remember exactly what she says. Something about him being the last. I'd sooner kiss a Wookiee. Yeah. Basically she gives, (laughs) I'd sooner kiss a Wookiee. I can arrange that. And, uh, then we are witness to Casey Jones falling on, uh, or breaking the porch swing, which brings to my, Attention, the thought that April does not ever keep any of her properties in uh, a proper state of repair. Her apartment was trashy. Her antique store was trashy, given it was an antique store. And now her summer house upstate is like falling apart. Well, and her van is. And her van sucks. 
And her van is garbage. <laughs> and all of this stuff is, I think, from her father, from her parents. And like she, w- I, my guess is like she recently got all this, like, well, within the last few years, got all this stuff. I'm, I'm betting that like her parents died a couple of years ago. She, she like moved out to the city. Like maybe she stayed at the apartment above the family antique shop, um, you know, but maybe she had a place of her own. And she was a reporter. That was her job. She, you know, she loved that. She was going into her career. She has all that. Her life is going along. She's in her mid to late 20s. And then, boom, parents die and leave all the property and to she her. she has an illegitimate like, child with her boss. That's true. That's true. And she's <laughs> like, well, what am I going to do with all this? And she can't bring herself to sell it. But at the same time, you know, she doesn't have the money to pay anybody to keep any of it up and keep it repaired, keep it active. And, but... She's not, you know, she she can't stop doing her job. So she just kind of has this stuff and isn't doing what she should. I mean, like the house upstate should be rented out. It's it's a good whatever. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's very insightful, and it, it it makes me think about the scene where she's leading the turtles to the antique shop, and she's talking to them about how her dad, you know, loved old stuff. I, I again, I don't remember the exact line, but she's talking about her father and we get that little bit of like yeah. her backstory, just the tiniest little sliver. So no, that's very insightful. That's a good point. And I mean, it's, it's possible that she understands that the house should be rented out, but maybe she just can't bring herself to do it. Mm. In the, uh, in this the is why we story, talk about these things one minute at a time. We get all these details. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, yeah. In the comic story, there's a scene where they've arrived at the house and they don't have any running water or electricity. So you have a rare instance where Donatello actually does machines where he's fixing up, you know, the, like a, the hot water heater. It's like a big moment when they get hot water and can take a shower. Well, it's funny because she's carrying a hammer in this scene. And I don't remember what was the last thing we saw. Was she using it to, to fix something? Was there she had a problem with something in the house? So it's kind of the same thing that's going on here. She's trying to fix something in the house. It might have been hot water. It might have been. I, I don't know. But, uh, you know, we're not seeing necessarily the repairs on screen, but they are definitely hearkening back to that comic. Well, the, the thing with, the thing with the ports, the thing with the porch swing is I always read into that as Casey just finished fixing the swing the way he's kind of standing near it. And, <laughs> yeah. and then when he he's sits, like, I'm so proud of and myself. He's, and he's eating that apple like, oh, this was super easy peasy. And then he sits on the, on the bench the and it breaks. <laughs> like, I, I always I always took that as like, oh, hey, look, I fixed this thing. And I'm so cool. And, look at how manly like that, I am. <laughs> the, the apple adds like that level of, oh, this was easy. That's mm. like, yes. I don't know, it's some weird TV trope. Yeah. We see that later, I think. We I do think. see it later. The apple comes back. It's definitely in this film used as a signifier of, uh, you know, not really exerting a lot of effort. Yeah. Um, what the heck was I just going to say? Uh, I like that. <laughs> I think that's a, a really good point. Uh, maybe I was going to say the uh, the porch swing is karma also. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> The porch swing is a feminist. <laughs> <laughs> this will show them. It's like, I'll Not give all you porch toots. swings. <laughs> <laughs> yes, all Casey Joneses. <laughs> all right. Oh, fantastic. Um, all right, let's, let's, let's keep going. Uh, we get to uh, the bathroom scene. Which I promise is not as gross as it sounds. Leonardo <laughs> has let's not. Let's not call it the bathroom scene. Let's call it the waking up from a coma scene. Yeah, yes. Leonardo has apparently not at all on his patrol duty. I like that we, he's like standing sentry. He feels so guilty about what happened. 
Uh, that he's standing a vigil. Yeah, he's it's yeah exactly. He's just kind of hanging out there, and then we get this line from Raphael: "Hey, what's a guy <laughs> gotta do to get some food around here? <laughs> food, bring <laughs> some food." Uh, Both of their voices, like in this moment, are the weirdest that they are throughout the entire movie. Yeah. I'm just like, I mean, like, okay, I kind of get that Raphael just woke up from being unconscious for a couple days, but Leo just sounds like. I I don't know how to describe what he sounds like. I, I a long-tailed cat in a room full of gears that are constantly moving. <laughs> well, he's he's glad that his brother isn't dead, and it's his fault. Yeah. So like he kind of he kind of gets a win. He's off the hook for this now. Yeah. Because <laughs> like that that's why he's been sitting vigil. He feels guilty about this whole thing. So now that Raph's awake, he's like, oh, we're everything's cool, everything's fine, right? Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Don't tell Dad. I'm still the leader. I'm still in charge here. Everything's fine. See, Raph's fine. Guys, he's fine. You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> Don't cry. Aww. Um, yeah, to me, it just it's the most cartoony dialogue that we've heard so far. It's more of that musical dialogue. Uh, yeah. To yeah. a very extreme yeah. degree this time. I like to uh, bring some food. Like, I, bring I, me I some this- food. I get this image of Mikey just running in the room with a box that just says food, food on it. <laughs> <laughs> One food, please. <laughs> like like a health pack. <laughs> it's like a turkey leg out of a garbage can. <laughs> like a they, they broke the garbage can and there's just a giant ham in there on the bone. What show is it where it's just a bag that says snack? <laughs> That's from something. It's going to bug me. Just a, a, a bag of chips that says snack. Well, it's like, is that, was that Repo Man? Because, like, in Repo Man, they have, like, the white beer cans that just say this beer on beer, them. That no. might have been it. And the bottles that say drink on them. I mean, maybe. Maybe. Drank. <laughs> um, Snack. I like this scene, but it makes me slightly uncomfortable because they're in a dirty bathroom together and the turtles are not wearing their belts. And when the turtles aren't wearing their belts, I feel like that's basically them naked. <laughs> <laughs> So Nikki time. I've always Nikki. just sort of interpreted this as the two brothers just like just hanging out naked, nude, hanging out with each other. Like, oh my god, I'm so happy you're not dead, but teenage, we're both naked. Teenage mutant nudist turtles. T M N N T. This bathroom is so gross. The weird it stain is. The on whole the wall. thing is just TMNSFW. Is it is it less gross nah. in the sewer though? Well, I don't know. Mm, the no. New York City sewers no. that we've been shown in this movie are are not the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. They're pretty posh, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, the tub is nice. That, just that, that tub is open probably, to the environment. That tub is probably worth something now. Yeah. It's got good bones or whatever the hipsters <laughs> like, say. Sure. Oh, it's got the claw feet. Yeah. Which are, Rare. You can you can relax in that and wax your mustache. Yes. <laughs> I have um, to get credit. I have to get credit for the cinematography in this scene though, because I love the natural lighting in this. It's not something you'd expect from from this movie. Like I feel like the tone has changed pretty drastically. It's been slowed down yeah. and gotten a little more serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost funny because like once that uh, it's it is rather silly up until the fight, and even including the fight in April's apartment, but. I guess once they 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 bail out of the place and they're in the van, it does sort of we shift in this kind of like it's almost like a a, a, a pause or like a sigh, like a deep sigh. They're just kind of like taking stock of everything from a cinematic standpoint before we move on. Like you're giving the audience mm-hmm. a breather here. 
If and it's can, also, also it's some of the best characterization in the movie comes in these few minutes here. Like this is where we really start to get into the head of some of these characters and see them interacting on a personal level. Yeah. If if you consider this movie as like a pop song, this is sort of like the bridge, or you know, like the or like a key change, you know. Oh kind man, of you are a man after my own heart. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfect way. Why didn't I think of that? Damn it. No, that was good. Yeah, you can only you can only anyway. throw so much of the same thing at people for so long before they tune out. And we've had humor in action this whole movie, so this is like boom sensitivity. We're gonna perk your ears up a little bit now, or your eyes, as it were. I wonder if if like the use of the natural lighting and like throughout like uh, the movie, like up to this point, like at at April's apartment in the antique shop, um, like out on the streets. And even uh, like when the, when when there is when there is like light out, it's all natural light. And then for the the dark stuff, the stuff in the sewers, the stuff in the alleys, the stuff at night, like they don't go out of their way. Like it seems like in the first scene, it seems like it was just lit by like the one light up above that they turned off yeah. when they threw a sigh yeah. at it. I think I think you know this was kind of a you know they they've spent what ten million dollars on this? I think thirteen somewhere on there. Thirteen million dollars. I'm willing to bet they cut some some cost by uh, not getting much in the way of lighting. You know, it's it's good to have the nat- to do the natural lighting and to sort of shoot that way. But like a lot of this is, I think, darker than they would have have shot it because like in the later movies, it's a lot lighter. Yeah, well, like they had more yeah. money, and I think like the the lighting is brought up, and it's a little more sort of. Um, I think they're aiming it looks to. More like a soap they're opera. trying to get it to look more like the cartoon and bring a little bit of that element into the sequels. But as far as this one goes, like we haven't even really seen daylight until this part of the movie like the whole movie's basically been city hall you know yeah, first scene stealing not for stuff any out of length of time really though um, this is like the first sort of like extended period that the turtles are like awake in the daytime everything else has kind enough. of either been indoors where you can't really catch daylight or uh or or underground or Nighttime. I just I, I like it. Like I, a, I like that the Stern, musical Stern's bridge office, analogy. Like Chris, you're shooting holes in my theory. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Stearns' office, and especially April's apartment. April's apartment had like big open all windows. Right. I'm wrong. Like, I don't think right. they had many lights on in there at all. Can I ask you guys yeah. a question? No, but yeah. Anyway, whatever. Uh, t- t- sure. Mm-hmm. So, were you guys surprised when you first saw it? Were you surprised that they've the, the turtles had moved out to the country? Because I think it would be surprising to most people. Um, man. Hmm. I'm I'm gonna say that I probably was. I don't remember being surprised, but I've. I mean, I, this movie has been in my life for so long now that I I, yeah. I honestly can't remember what my reactions are. It is different. It is probably the most different setting that I've seen them in. I do remember being surprised when I went back and read the Mirage comic books much later in my life that this was such an important arc in that story. I was like, oh, okay, this is just like this little thing in the movie, but it's like it takes up you know, a couple issues in the comic book and like this farmhouse thing is like apparently yeah. a really important Teenage deal. mutant cowboy. At, <laughs> at the time I saw this, I'd already read the comic. So I was like, really, I was really happy that this was like a pretty close adaptation. And I was probably one of the few people in the theater to realize, you know, how much of the Mirage comics was being adapted here. Yeah. We need to talk about that real quick. I'm going to hit pause in a minute because I don't think we've talked to anyone who read the comics first and then saw the movie. What like? Can you just give us your give us your turtle history? Give us your overview, Chris, about uh, how how you got into turtles and then getting to this movie and your reactions to it. Yeah, so I when the for, when the cartoon first came on, I was that first like miniseries. It was like late nineteen eighty seven, I think, and right. I was I was like nine years old. So I was I was maybe a little older than a lot of the other fans. 
And I was really intrigued by the cartoon show, even from just like the opening credits, you know, the opening scene was amazing. And then uh, I hadn't, I hadn't really read comics outside of like Archie at that point. And I, I went to a, a used bookstore that had, that had comics in the front and the comic that was on the shelf, because there, there wasn't the Archie comics adaptation of the turtles yet. It was right. just the Mirage stuff. And the book that I picked up, uh, probably that same week that I saw the cartoon show, was Turtle Soup, number one, which was oh not part of the mainline Mirage, but it was like a side no, project. No, like collection. Wasn't it like a collection of Yeah, it was like an anthology turtle of other, stories, yeah. other artists. And the very first story in there was one by Steve Bissett, who was like, sort of like, he did Swamp Thing and some horror right. comics. And it was terrifying. It was... The, the very first like three pages of this, the turtles have come back from a battle, and Michelangelo's shell has like been split open on the front, and you can like see his internal no. organs. And this is just like horrifying because it's so it's oh. so different than the, than the the uh, TV show. And uh, he goes into like a fever dream while he's healing. He's like literally split in half, and his like heart is rent apart. Like his and the witch eats his heart in front of him. And like this, I was just I was just traumatized by this understandable but, and i was like i was afraid to show it to my parents because they you know i was afraid they would take it away and it was hard to sort of uh uh process yeah, it was hard that. to process and compare this to the 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 cartoon i wasn't sure you know what which was the real turtles here and but pretty soon i started reading the mirage comics um you know from issue number one and there's there's probably not a piece of pop culture that affected me more than than issue number one of the mirage series and i absolutely loved it so I pretty soon after I just kind of quit watching the cartoon show because I thought it was you know a little cheesy and I was a little older or mm. you know probably older than I should have been watching that. I remember some kids at kids <laughs> it got at school, bad but, real fast. Yeah, yeah. but I remember, like I remember some kids strong. at school wanted to beat me up because I was a turtles fan and I was you know by the time like eleven or something. I was like, no, no it's like you don't all understand. their all their little brothers were into it. That I can understand that. Right. We're, yeah, they, I mean, I'm I'm younger than you are. I think I I was born in '85, so by the time you had like gotten into the TV show, I was like still too young to even know what a television was. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it's, I just find it, it's super interesting. And it's really threatened cool. to beat me up. <laughs> um, so what about when you got to this movie? So you get to the movie, you already have this sort of, you know, a little bit of the TV show in your, your brain banks and you have this, the, you know, I'm assuming by the time this came out, a a pretty decent collection of the original Mirage comics that you've read through. Yeah. I, I can't remember exactly what number, but it was, I think more than 20 at least because they're the, the return to New York arc, which is also adapted. That's like 1920, right? Yeah. It's around that number. I think those had already come out. So I was just, I was just thrilled. This was a really surreal experience. And these days when I go watch a comic book adaptation movie, a lot of them, they're disappointing, but to have this experience, uh, at like age 11, um, to have this movie be that good of an adaptation was amazing. And I was, were, I was probably one of the few people in the theater who, who just realized, you know, what, what was happening on the screen. Were you expecting it to be more along the lines of the comics or were you expecting it to be more like the TV show? I don't know. I can't remember what I expected. I would seen some of the trailers and it looked, it didn't look, you know, cartoony, but there's, I, I assume there's like budget restrictions that you can't adapt the crazy stuff in the cartoon show. Right. So this was the easy solution. I mean, even I, the scene at the farmhouse is like probably really cheap to shoot. You know, it's just like a yeah. location shoot. So, you know, a movie producer's a job. A rundown. Yeah, a movie producer's job location. is to like make a cheap movie, not a good Wait movie. Wait a minute. But, You're from North Carolina, correct? Yeah. Wasn't most of this movie filmed in North Carolina? Oh, was it? Was it like I was believe it, near it was. Wilmington? I, I believe, I don't remember exactly where, but I believe a lot of this movie was filmed in North Carolina and then a few location shoots in uh, in New York. Um. 
that's an awesome story, dude. That's a really interesting perspective. Uh, I, again, we haven't had anyone in this show that's sort of seen the turtles in that order, like TV show, then the comic books, and then the movie. So that's very cool. Um, let's roll through the end of this minute. It's it's not a whole lot more. Leo's telling Raph that he's, oh. that he's, he's going to be okay. He's going to be, oh. He grabs a handful of Raphael's puffy cheeks. Oh. And then our minute is over. Um... What O could he be? I don't know. O. He's going to be O Henry. He's going to be O positive. He's going to be O Oklahoma. O brother, where art thou? <laughs> um, all right. Well, I'm I'm good for this minute. Has anyone got anything else? No, I don't think so. No. Pretty good. Pretty good. All right. I want to remind everyone, go take a look at the DC Legacy film cast. Where can we find that, Chris? Uh, DCLegacyFilmCast.com or also in the iTunes directory or your favorite podcast app. Great. And uh, also head over to DuelingGenre.com. Check out all the other podcasts that we have over there. We are going to be back tomorrow with minute number 57. And Chris is going to join us again. So for the crew here at Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Minute, I shall bid you adieu. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Cow diddly bunga.